Well, good morning, everybody. It's a wonderful day for you and for me as well. Uh, one of the reasons is because everything that about me that annoys you, you get to blame the person responsible for it and meet the person. It's my mother over there. She created me. So uh, it's wonderful to have my mom here, and she's excited to be in America. And if you haven't met her, met her uh, you'll enjoy meeting her. All right, I've got a new um, series that I'm starting today. Just going to be five lessons, just some things that's been wrapped up in my mind as I look at our world around us. It's, it's called, We Are the Gods. We Are the Gods. Um, it looks like, and just bear with me for a moment as I try to explain this, and, and I hope it will, uh, it better make sense. I hope so. Um, but, you know, we humans, we want some things that only God can give us. We want um, what only God can give. The, the big thinkers, the big philosophers of the world have brought up some new words. One of it is being transhuman. People are trying to find ways to be transhuman, to be superior uh, to just being humans. I'm going to explain this, don't worry as we go on. Or to be superhuman. These are words that the philosophers are thinking out to try and describe what human beings are trying to do. And over the next five weeks, hopefully, um, I'm going to be dealing with five topics. The first one is justice. The second one is immortality. The third one is life. And then knowledge. And then godlessness. Let me just explain that. I'm going to have some slides on that for you in a moment. We are trying, human beings are trying to create justice. We're trying to create a fair world. Number one, that we're going to talk about today. Secondly, Human beings are trying to achieve immortality, defy death. We're going to talk about that. And human beings are trying to create life from nothing and also trying to produce knowledge that only God has. And lastly, the human race is increasingly becoming more godless. We're trying to find a way to push the concept of God out of our minds, out of our schools, out of our governments. And we, we can, we're trying everything we can to have these virtues, if we call them virtues, but without God. We want to kick God out of the equation. In actual fact, the human race is starting to act like gods themselves. We are reaching a position, slowly but surely, where we think that we are higher than the Creator, higher than God. And who remembers when that happened previously? Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, and God confused the whole story and separated the human race. Now let's look at these examples just quickly to whet your appetite. Justice. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you guys know what affirmative action is. It's a big thing in South Africa, and I think to a certain extent in America as well. Where, but I'll just talk about South Africa. It's like in the 1600s, some people from Europe came and they colonized Africa, right? They took over some of the land whether that was purchased or conquered, whatever the case was. And so the, the white Europeans took over and the, the, the poor black people were oppressed. Now, 400 years later, what they're trying to do is affirmative action. They're trying to say, okay, well, the current generation needs to pay back these guys who took the land from them. So we only offer jobs to the, to the black people, not the white people. We take the land from the white people, give it to the black people. That's affirmative action. It's a form of saying, okay, let's repay these people for the injustice that they experience. Just an example. 
Then there's immortality. I don't know if you know about this. There's a place in Arizona where they have frozen the brains of people. They've frozen the brains of people and some of their bodies because I think there's about 200 because they are hoping that the technology will develop to the extent that one day those people who have died and their brains have been frozen can be somehow connected again to some type of um, technology where they can be revived again and they can live again. Do you see the pursuit for immortality there? We're trying to defy death. Thirdly, life. You need to go Google a little bit about what type of cloning has taken place in the world. What China is doing, everybody knows what cloning is, right? It's when you, when you, when you, okay. So there's, some people claim that they've already started cloning human embryos. So those humans can develop and they can use the organs for organ transplant. We're trying to create life, human beings. Thirdly, knowledge. The human race is reaching a point where the human race thinks that we know all knowledge and we can find all knowledge. For example, that life started through a series of prog progressive chemical reactions. In other words, evolution. Don't worry, it's gonna, uh, we, we're going to deal with that. And lastly, godlessness. There's a very steep increase worldwide to debunk what the Bible says. And that the only thing that exists is what you can touch. That consciousness, for example, is an illusion. But we're going to talk about that. So that's sort of the five things that we'll be dealing with. But today, we're going to start with justice. And those who... Um, those who haven't heard this definition, justice um, for today is getting what you deserve. Do you like justice? Who likes justice? Getting what you deserve. I think we like grace, right? Now, one of the strangest and crazy things, I just need to bring the uh, opinion chair closer here. One of the strangest and crazy things that I had to wrap my brain around, so this is just, I'm just going to give myself as an illustration here, is the concept that I call the triple L spider web. The triple L spider web. Liability, lawyers, and legalities spider web. What I'm going to share with you now, I've had with you in personal conversations, and some of what I'm going to say now is going to be like, yeah, but that's, that's normal. Well, if you come from outside of this country, a lot of these things that I've experienced as I've come here, me and my family, is, just doesn't feel normal, although it's normal here. In South Africa, for example, you, you pay for your medical aid. It's called a medical aid, right? It's not called medical insurance. I don't know why. Perhaps because it's not the same thing. So you pay for your medical aid for in case you have an injury on your body or you need to go get an, a surgery or, or something happens to your body. Regardless of how you got injured, the medical aid pays for it. <laughs> Whether a crocodile bites you, or you fall off a closet, or you're in a car accident, the medical aid pays for it. So, the, the car insurance is something different. The car insurance does not pay for your medical bills. The car insurance is just for the car. If the car is broken, the car insurance pays for it. Right? Simple. Medical insurance pays for the body. Car insurance pays for the, for the car. If you go visit your friend's house, right, and you slip and you fall and you break your arm, you don't sue him. If you slip in McDonald's, you don't sue McDonald's. You slipped. You slipped. 
McDonald's didn't slip, you did. And so you go and the medical aid sorts you out. Why? Because you have medical aid for your physical body, right? You have insurance on your house for in case a fire develops in your house or your geezer breaks. What do you guys call it? It's not a geezer. The thing that heats the water, what do you call that? Yeah. Water heater. Okay. So when, when the water heater bursts and floods your house, or there's a flood, or the, there's an earthquake in your house, that's what house insurance is about. That's, I'm talking about South Africa, right? So it's, that, that's the norm. That's what we grew up. My mom can sort of explain that as well. Then we move to America, and I hear about this lady. Remember this, this bad boy? So, she buys a cup of coffee. It spills on her lap. She burns badly. And she sues McDonald's. And she gets $2.9 million. I want to suggest to you that things like this has really changed society in a big way. That's, I think you know sort of where I'm going. I heard from Terry, who's in hospital. God bless him, peace be upon him, as he's lying in his hospital bed. I think it was his father owned a piece of land in Florida and had horses. And one night, the horses escaped from, his, from the farm. And they ran into the streets of the town. And there's a young guy, late at night, like between 12 and 1, he was racing around in town, and he hit these horses. And he got severe injuries because of that. Well, that guy that was in the accident, he sued Terry's father. They won the court case because he didn't have, he, he couldn't keep the horses inside of his yard. So it's obviously his fault. And that piece of land his father lived in, he could have lived there until the end of his life. But that land was sold and paid for the guy who was in the accident. I've never heard of stuff like this in South Africa, ever. That your whole, your whole life's wealth, because of an accident of an animal that escaped your yard, now you have to pay. For everything that you've had, you've got to give over to that, that man. This past week, I heard about, you know what that is? That's a Peloton bike. I don't know if you guys saw in the news. That's a Peloton bike, right? It's a stationary bike. This guy in New York, I think, in his apartment, he bought himself one of these bad boys, and he's riding it, and he's doing his stretches. Now, if you've done a spinning bike, it's, it's pretty convenient to put your leg on the, you know, on the, on the seat and, and just stretch a little bit before you cycle or afterwards. And, and as he was holding onto it, one of the things you can do is you hold on like this, and you, you stretch like that. You know, As he's holding onto it, this thing falls over on top of him and severs his neck artery. It's devastating. It's horrible. And <clears throat> he dies. Now his family is suing Peloton for this accident. Because they say there weren't enough warning stickers on the actual bike. Now, for, for us, I don't know, in America this is perhaps normal. But where I come from, I'm like, what? Dude. You, you held on to the bike. The bike fell on you. You'd, why blame Peloton for your exercise mistake? Okay. 
I can go on and on. Last night, again, I read the news. This was in Australia, which I think is very westernized society, and perhaps down the same road. Soldiers went fishing in their off time. Somehow or another, they took a dip to swim a little bit, and a crocodile attacked both of them. Both of them got severe injuries. They got out of the water in hospital. Oh, we're going to sue the Australian government. Dude, you took a swim. <laughs> it's like, like, it's the crocodile. Is it, is it the army's fault that you got eaten by a crocodile, half eaten? It's crazy. So, seeing all of these things, I'm like, I'm scared of living in America. Like, when I realized how the car insurance thing works, that if I drive out of here and I make an accident, that's why it's called an accident. I, somebody could potentially get hurt and sue me for everything that I have. It's a scary place. Right? Or am I crazy? Now, it seems like a sue-happy society. It seems to be ruled by lawyers and insurance companies. I think the wealthiest people in this country is probably lawyers. And the insurance companies make a lot of money. Alfreda was in a car accident here down the road. The guy drove into the back of her. wasn't her fault. He claims it was. But he luckily smashed into the back of her. So you're always the winner, apparently. And we want to take it to the doctor. Now, we have medical insurance. We take it to the doctor. The doctor says, we'll phone the medical insurance. Phones the medical insurance. They say they won't pay. That guy's car insurance has to pay. So we phone the car insurance people. They say, no, they won't pay. Our medical insurance needs to pay. I'm like, for crying in a bucket. In South Africa, this was pretty simple. If your body is injured, you go to the doctor and the medical insurance sorts you out. So there's this warfare between the insurance companies. So everybody's worried about liability. And that puts a, and that puts a damper on a lot of things in, in, in our society. It makes it a little bit difficult. Like just having a swimming pool is an issue. Right? With Timmy and them. Because of liability. You've got to be scared, like, who, will, who do you allow to your house? Because they might drown, and they might sue you for drowning. It's not their fault. You've got to find somebody whose fault it is. And so you don't want a pool at your house. It's like, I love you guys, but if we ever own a house, I'm probably not going to invite you there. <laughs> Slip in the bathroom, knock a tooth out, Michiel, I'm going to sue you. Homeowner's insurance. Okay, that's why I have homeowner's insurance. No, it's okay, I'll invite you, because I know you won't sue me. You love me, right? Yeah, okay. Restaurants don't have kids' play areas. That's the first thing I noticed when we got here. Like, is this a really unfriendly environment for kids? Like, why? And then I start to understand. It's because of liability. That kid slips there, and the mother then sues McDonald's or sues the restaurant for an injury of the kid. Now, I sound negative. I'm actually not. I'm saying all of this to make a point, and I'm sharing with you my thought process to get us to some text. I think it is, to a large extent, good. Because it signals something. It signals a seeking after justice. A friend of mine phoned me in South Africa one day. He's like on his scooter, you know, and he goes down the road, and there's a guy next to the road that jumps in front of him as he's going down the road with his scooter. Poor African guy who's an opportunist. He thought if I jump in front of this guy and he gets hurt, 
You can blame him for the accident, and then you can give him some money. No lawyer would support him. So this guy, my friend phones me. The guy is lying next to the road. There's actually nothing wrong with him, but he makes as if his rib is broken or whatever. So we just pick him up, take him to the hospital, and drop him off and never hear from him again. Because he was an opportunist. In South Africa, it doesn't work like that. Look, uh, that sounds like I don't care. I really cared about the guy. and said, okay, dude. Sorry, man. Let me take you to the hospital. Love you. Bye. See you later. But here, it would have been lawyers and court cases. So I think it's good if a society is like that, except when you have people who take chances and greedy and opportunists. Well, something happened here. Okay, I'm going to sue. I'm going to get some money out of this. I think that's something we've got to look at. But on the positive side, in Africa, you get hurt, even if it wasn't your fault. And you just accept that. You accept that that is life, and you move on. In America, you get hurt by someone, and they must compensate you for your discomfort, which is actually a good thing. The society is fighting for, to, to take care of the culprits who hurt people and never pay. And in a sense, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a search for justice and fairness and for what's right and what's good. But it produces this type of attitude. It is someone's fault. When people get hurt in this country, it's like, it must be someone's fault. Not mine, it must be someone's fault. I'm going to find someone whose fault it is. And when I find that person, someone must pay. It's created the mentality, I think, where people feel like this. Someone's fault, so someone must pay. There must be someone that has to pay. What happens to, it was just an accident. What happens to, have grace? It's sad. I've been thinking a lot about this, and I've got bad and sad news for us. Justice is impossible if human beings are in charge. Really. And go think about this. Justice is really impossible if human beings are in charge. Because our judgments are, are just not as good as God's. I'll give you a few examples. I, I saw this post this week here in Sweet Home on Facebook. A lady puts this post on, post on Facebook. She says, this guy, and she, she's got the images here of what this guy did seven years ago, apparently in Sweet Home in some town, or some shop. He created some havoc and whatever. He was, he was sent to prison for seven years, and he just came out of prison. The first day he comes out of prison, she puts a post on Facebook saying, don't have anything to do with this guy. He's a dangerous guy. Look at what he did seven years ago. I've got a restraining order against him. I ask myself the question, is that fair? He might be a bad guy, but he might have changed in seven years. Is it, is it really that, that necessary to dump this on him? Must he pay for the rest of his life? Isn't the correctional services about correcting your behavior, paying the penalty? He comes, he's paid his penalty. He's coming into life again, and he's met with opposition and hatred and justice. It's unfair. I think. Maybe not. Maybe he's still a, a, cop, a crook and a bad guy and he's got a dark heart. But who knows that? So, the young man that also lived a life, a mess, he went to prison, he came out of prison, he paid his penalty, He's been corrected. His behavior has changed. I've seen it with my own eyes. He comes into this world. He wants to rebuild his life. He's got $25,000 of fines he has to pay for traffic fines in his previous life. He has to try and find his feet, get a job. He's got to pay for his kids. 
All of his money goes. He's paying for tax. He's paying for the other guys in prison. And if he wants to get his license, he has to license again so he can get a better job. He has to pay all these fines. And when he does eventually end up getting his license back, he has to pay $900 a month for car insurance. Because the car insurance company won't cover him because of his previous life. Do you think that's just and fair? We've well, paid the penalty already, but the system is designed in such a way that it's really unfair and unjust, and it hurts people who's already hurting. What about this young man who stayed down here for three months or something? He changed his child's nappy on the bed, and the child was about to roll over, and he grabbed the child's legs to pull him back, and his leg broke. And he was thrown into jail for three months because of that. He comes out of jail. He doesn't have a place to stay because he's not allowed to go stay where his child is at. He's not allowed to see his child. Yo, if you've paid the penalty, don't you think that the just response is, okay, you've paid the penalty, go on with your life. You know what the problem is? Humans are in charge of the system. And humans are not God. And they can't make accurate, just decisions. And we are trying to do it. The lawyers are trying to do it, maybe some of them. The judges are trying to be just. The Department of Justice is trying to be just. You and I, we're trying to be just. We make judgments about this guy. We make judgments about the Peloton bike. But at the end of the day, who is the one, the only one that can make an accurate judgment? You know who he is. But we live as Christians in this society, in this unfair world, or this world where we trying to get justice. But remember this, the further we move away from God, the less we will make sober judgments. The more godless society becomes, the more justice will evade us. The more unfair life will become for the innocent and the guilty. Why? Because justice resides in the hands of the living God. Look at this text in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. The uh, NIV says that in, uh, he is perfect in his justice, basically. He's a just judge, and he's coming. And the picture in Revelation chapter 19 is that he's coming on a white horse, and this person who we, we don't know his name is, the text says later on, I think in verse 11, that on his thigh and on his, his garment is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's the God of heaven and earth. And there's a sword coming out of his mouth. It's the word of God. And he comes to judge. And behind him is the armies of heaven. And this illustration is that God is on his way to make war against injustice. Only God can accurately tell whether a murderer deserves a life sentence. Or who should pay how much in a car accident? Or if someone is to be blamed for the fall of the peloton bike? We live in a crazy world where justice is never really justice. It is at heart an unfair world. Only God knows what is right, true, and what lies in people's hearts. We're going to do a cool exercise this morning. Are you still awake? Better be watching. Okay. We're going to look at a story. One of my most favorite stories. All right, let's go. First Kings chapter 3, verse 16 to 28. Read with me. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. Which king is this? Solomon, right? One of them said, pardon me, my lord. 
This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. Very unfortunate circumstance. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side. While I, your servant, was asleep, she put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. And so they brought the sword for the king. He then gave an order, Cut the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. Good judgment. Are you frowning? It's awkward. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. Beautiful. And then the last verse says this. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe. Because they saw that he had wisdom from where? From God. To do what? To administer justice. The difficulty in our world where we live currently is how many people who are in our justice system work for insurance companies actually have wisdom from God? Very, very few. Even us, do we make our judgments with wisdom from God? Or is it me making the judgment? The closer you are to God, the better you'll be able to make judgments. And they will be more accurate. What I'm trying to say is, is as the world is becoming more godless, we can expect worse justice. Not better justice, unfortunately. Because human beings are trying everything that they can to figure out what is just. And in the process, they get it badly wrong. Because they're not governed by God's wisdom, but by everything else. Now, here's the exercise. hope you're ready for it. And if you go home, go do this exercise as well. I found it interesting to do it myself. I asked the question, if this case, this specific case, two prostitutes, one baby, right? In front of the king. If this case played out in America today, how would it have been different? Let's use today. I've got a few things here. Go play with it at home. Just interesting. The prostitutes would never have fallen pregnant, probably. Why? Well, because today we have contraceptives. Right? Simple. If they did somehow fall pregnant, they probably would have not had the babies. Why? Because they could have aborted them. They probably would not have lived together. They probably would have had some money from the state to live in their own places. 
but would potentially have been in jail because I think in most states prostitution is illegal, right? Okay. The technology of photos and DNA might have sooner determined whose baby is who, right? Because the first thing you do when the baby comes out is take a photo. Okay. Like I've said before, wait a few hours and clean them up first. Get rid of some of the wrinkles and the attitude. Okay? But they probably would have taken photos and, and be able to prove, hey, that's your baby, this is my baby. Look here, look, look here. Or they could have done a DNA test. Technology is incredible, right? You wouldn't need the king's judgment. The science would have given the, um, the truth. Prostitutes would probably not be considered credible witnesses. And I guarantee you that there would have been multiple lawyers on the scene to make sure to provide legal opportunities for them to get some money. Right? The one would have sued the other for defamation. You claimed, I killed your baby. The second mother would have sued the bed manufacturer for creating beds without stickers on it, warning mothers not to sleep with their babies on it. Or, if she didn't succeed there, she would have sued the farmer who sold the potatoes the previous day that made her sleep a little bit deeper than usual and caused her to sleep her baby to death. You see, because somebody has to be blamed except you and your mistake. The first mother would have sued the second for anguish and potential PTSD and anxiety for almost having stolen her child and the trauma of witnessing a dead baby lying by her breast when she woke up the next day. And of course, the second mother would have made a huge claim from the homeowner's insurance. And Solomon would have been impeached for suggesting cutting a baby in half. Look how our world has changed. Some things have become better, like technology. Everything else has become more complicated, especially the pursuit of justice. You see, science can determine who is guilty, but science cannot determine the penalty for the guilty. But Solomon discovered the truth without DNA without technology, without lawyers. And how did he do it? He knew the truth lies deep in the hearts of people. And here's the problem. That is a place that no human being can see. We think we can, but we don't. Jeremiah 17:9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? I can't even understand my own heart, never mind somebody else's. Like, here's the question. Are the lawyers... Really seeking justice or do they seek money? Who knows that? Are they really on my side or do they actually just want my money? Do they see an opportunity to make money? Does your insurance company really care about you? Do they really want to have your back or do they actually just want your money? Was that car accident that my wife had here really an accident or was the person negligent? And if he was negligent, why was he negligent? What happened in his life? How do we know that there wasn't some trauma in his heart? That he had a moment where he thought about the abuse of his dad and he lost focus on the road or he had an argument with his wife that morning and he was just in a bad emotional state and he didn't focus. He had something big going on in his heart. Who knows? God knows. But we want to penalize. You will pay. There are so many variables and because we are broken, we want to blame someone. That's why I'm having this lesson today. Because it's increasing out there. Blame someone. 
And we as Christians got to be careful of falling into the same trap and going with the society. Someone has to be blamed for our pain. Someone has to pay for it. It's someone's fault. Someone must pay. And in the greatest scheme of life, in the deepest recesses of theology, it is true. It is actually true that someone must pay. In the overall scheme of life, it's true. It is someone's fault. You must pay. Pain and suffering is our fault. The reason why we have these issues is because human beings are fallen and broken and they're a mess and we make mistakes and we hurt people. Every human, man brought sin into the world and created this mess. The mess of saying, he says, she says. She did it, he did it. You owe me, I owe you. It's your fault, I hurt. It's my fault, you hurt. And we should all pay because we're all guilty. But only God can determine how guilty we are. Not the justice system or DNA or technology because the ultimate truth lies in the heart of every person. And only the God of heaven and earth has access to those recesses. And according to Him, we're all guilty. But here's the beauty of the Christian faith. If you're sitting here this morning, you're trying to come to grips with what it is. Why people hold on to this Christianity is because of this. It's our fault. Someone must pay. But it isn't you or me, but Jesus. You see, the world's concept is this. Someone must pay and they have to pay. The Christian concept is this. Yes, I'm guilty. Jesus pays. That's the difference. The justice system in the world is broken, but Jesus fixes it. And without Him, there is no justice. We all pay. This is why we serve Christ, because He pays the bills. So, I um, thought about a few principles. Just three things for us to take home. Then we're going to close off with a video that Shannon is going to share with us. Three things for us as Christians. Um, it's still going to be about another ten minutes, Michael, just for in case. Sorry, because sometimes I say it's near the end and... Never trust the preacher when he says, I'm going to talk a little bit or it's close to the end. Don't trust them. Number one, look forward to justice. Listen carefully. Look forward to justice. We have all experienced some form of injustice in this world. And there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to look back and say, yeah, this place is unfair. What they did to me is unfair at work. It's going to be all over. I paid more than I should have. I've been found guilty even though I'm innocent. We have been wronged. And sometimes the culprits run free of the consequences. Let me deal with this by quoting just a few texts I've smashed into one. God has said today when He will judge the world with justice by the man that He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. God is a righteous judge, and He will deliver a righteous judgment. Therefore, I challenge you in the presence of God today to be like Jesus. When they hold their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. What am I saying? When you find yourself in a situation where people are treating you unfairly, or we're in a situation where it's really unjust, and you've got to pay a penalty that you don't deserve, all you do is speak to yourself and say, I hear horses running. 
that white horse that we read about, the armies of heaven are coming, ladies and gentlemen. That is why atheism is ridiculous. It's ridiculous because there's no ultimate justice. There's no ultimate judgment. People will not pay for what they have done. The Christian faith says Jesus is fair, He's righteous, and He's true, and He's just, and He's coming to make everything square. And the people that hurt us unjustly, and the system that hurts us unjustly, ladies and gentlemen, the horses are coming. The sword is coming. Every judge, every lawyer, every president, every social worker, every insurance company CEO, every dishonest person, every greedy person, every opportunist will stand before God and will pay for the injustice that they created in this world. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about their injustice and their unfairness. God will sort them out and He will do it well. Because only He can make that judgment correctly, accurately. So that's my first point. Look forward to the day of justice. Number two, give as much grace as truth allows. In simple terms, give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't fall into the same trap as those out there in the world. The people out there in the world saying, I don't trust you. The way that this society creates in, in us is we start with distrust. We start with doubt. We assume the worst in people. That's what the society creates. Because you don't know who's going to sue you. You don't know who is going to treat you unfairly. And so you start off with distrust. And it's filtering into our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love always what? Trusts. Love always trusts. i give you a quick example. So I, those of you who know, I did a triathlon race last week, Saturday. So how it works is this. You do the swim. Then you get out of the water and you stay in the chute. There's a lane you've got to stay in. So you come out of the swim, you run up, you go into the transition area, you get your bike, you go, and you go on the bike course. So you guys know I almost drowned with a, with, with a wetsuit. So I got out of the water. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to finish this swimming, whatever. Now, the guys are still swimming. The guys, guys I started the race with, right? So I got to register myself for the duathlon. I'm just going to do the bike and the run. So I get into the transition area, and guess what? Who's first? Me. But I didn't finish the swim, right? The guy who's first in the swim, he comes out. Yeah, he looks at me. He cannot understand. Because remember, he started to swim. He, know, he knew there's nobody in front of him. How is it possible that somebody else is in front of him? And I'm unpacking my wetsuit, and I'm all wet. And I, I could check it out of the side of my eye. He's like going crazy. How is it possible that this guy can be in front of me? Nobody was in front of me. And I get on my bike, and I'm out of there. Long before him. Yeah, and I'm out on the course. I'm the only guy. I feel like the champion of the world. And I'm like thinking the whole time, I must just go fast enough so that nobody catches me because they're going to catch me. These guys are like professionals. So I smash there and, and I'm almost back. I'm there by Pleasant Valley Hill. And this guy comes past me. And he's angry. And he says, who's first now? Huh? And it's like, you cheated, man. And I just smile at him. And I'm thinking to myself, you retard. You have no idea what you just said. You made a judgment based on the information that was available to him at the time. It was a wrong judgment. I'm not in the same race as you, dude. Calm down. I wanted to sing him a song. Just calm down. Just calm down. It was a stupid judgment because he didn't have the whole truth. He didn't have all the facts. He was still first, but he thought that I had cheated. 
and he assumed that I was a cheater. We shouldn't be like that. We need to be careful of seeking justice for people, putting blame on people without having all the facts. Christians rather err on the side of grace than justice. The gospel is a gospel of grace, right? We are people of grace. Secular people, the godless, always push justice, even though they cannot accurately determine it. So give people grace. You are not a perfect judge, neither am I. Only one person is. Lastly, thirdly, accept your own guilt. Picked my mother up from the airport. This is a tough lady. I've got to be honest with you. Tough lady. We come from the airport. She's flown like 16 hours. That feels like 12,000 years. Flies to Atlanta. She flies from there to Portland. You know, we drive down to Albany. It's another two-hour drive. And she's just, hey, 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 smiling. We stop in. I decide, she, since she's so strong, we're going to stop in Albany in the parking lot there to buy a Bible for, for uh, Micah for school. And there's a guy with, with his car, somehow in the parking, we just park, and, and his, his car doesn't want to start, and same guy alone, and he's pushing it, and pulling it, I don't know what, he, what he's doing, and he tries to reverse it, and sort of downhill, he tries to reverse it into the parking lot between two cars. But he's sitting in the seats with the steering wheel, looking back, trying to get into the parking lot, but his door is open. And I'm standing there thinking, you're probably going to close the door, right? Like I'm, I want to run and say, dude, close your door. He doesn't. And as he comes into the parking, the door slams into the car next door and folds the door totally around. I'm like, oh, can you imagine the triple L spiderweb, liability, lawyers, legalities. I'm like, that's the worst thing possible that could happen in the USA. Oh, and he's like, oh, just help me bend back the door. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a door that's been smashed like that. You don't get it back. It's done. It's over. Get a new car. Sorry. I'm trying to help him, and, and he's like in a panic, and I'm like, okay. We go into the shop. I'm like, okay, let's leave the triple L spider web. Let's go do our business. I come out. Yeah, the cops are arriving. And the lady whose car it is, she's there. And there's some other witnesses there. And the guy whose car it was, gone. And I'm wondering. I'm like thinking, I don't know what happened, but I'm wondering, where is this cat? Because probably if I was him, looking at his character and that, I probably would have gone into the mall, walked out the other side, phoned my wife to come and fetch me and forget about the car for eternity. Probably if I was a bad guy. Any case, I thought to myself, what does a disciple do in this situation? Go hide in the mall, hoping that it will disappear? A disciple would stay there, Admit guilt. Face the cops. Face the person whose property you damaged. Do what is right. You don't run away like a coward. You'll be surprised how much better your life will turn out for facing it instead of running from it. I know this is contrary to our current societal culture. Our current societal culture says, don't admit when you're wrong. Don't confess when it was you. Don't plead guilty. Let's be honest. When last have you seen one of our presidents say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. It was me. Let's be honest. Have you heard Trump say that recently? Have you heard Biden say that recently? Or any politician? They don't do it. Because in the world it's seen as weakness. The way to salvation is not by denying guilt, but by accepting it. 
Look at this text. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 1 John 1 verse 8 to 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. It has no place in us. I'm going to close off this morning with a video of Gary Ridgway. One of the, my greatest challenges with coming to this part of the United States is that this is the place where the most serial killers have come from. Did you know that? Like, Ted Bundy came from this section of the USA. Uh, there's the Highway 20 killer. Be careful of Highway 20. And then there's this guy, Gary Ridgway. I think he is the worst killer that America has ever seen. Um, he's called the Green River Killer. Um, what is intriguing for me about this video, and I might have shared with some of you before, what is intriguing for me about this video is that this is probably the worst sinner that has come from this area that we can imagine. But one thing that he did is he accepted guilt. And as I was preparing this lesson, I kept on hearing his voice, guilty, guilty, guilty at all the cases. I think he killed 48 women. And I want you to listen to what the people say about him. Because at his sentencing, the, the family of the people um, he had killed, they were there and they could give a word. And I want you to look carefully at what some of them say. Some of them want justice. And one of them gives grace. And I want you to look at the one who gives grace, what it does to that man. Thank you, Shannon. On November 5th, 2003, all doubt of Ridgway's guilt was erased. He pleaded guilty to the murders of 48 women. He'd made a deal to cooperate with the prosecution to provide more information on his victims and the whereabouts of their remains. In doing so, he avoided a trial and possible death penalty. Mr. Ridgway, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count one for the death of Wendy Lee Caulfield? Guilty. How do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count two? Guilty. 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 It's like he didn't have any remorse at all for what he had done. You know, he'd killed so many people, he didn't remember who they were, what they looked like. I just couldn't believe that somebody could kill all those people and not remember them. Neither could the angry relatives of his victims, who were invited to speak in court when Ridgway was sentenced to life without parole on December 18, 2003. You had said your memory, when it comes to all of the women you took, was gone. Our memory is not. In your words, you said that they didn't mean anything to you, but she meant everything to us. She was a mother, she was a wife, she was a sister, and we miss her. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's gonna go to hell and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, 
there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and that is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. What strikes me about this video is just that justice doesn't soften people's hearts. Grace does. I want us to be people of grace in a world where everybody claims to be a just person. Be the kind one. Be the forgiving one. A guy wrote a, a bunch of articles about what's wrong with the world. And a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton replied to those articles, and he said the following, Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. And that's all he said. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. And guilty people want grace. But often, we know we're guilty, but we want to give our justice. My message this morning is this, let's not fall into the trap of the world Always seek somebody to pay for our mistakes. Let's own our mistakes. Let's own our mistakes. Accept the guilt. Look forward to the justice and give people grace. Let's stand and we'll sing the closing song this morning.